Section 7 of Reminiscences of a Southern Hospital by its Matron by Phoebe Yates Pember. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. Though my health had withstood up to this time all the effects of exposure and exertion, the strain had become too great and the constantly recurring agitation excited each day on receiving the returned prisoners broke me down completely a visit to the surgeon general with a request for a month's leave of absence met with a ready acquiescence the old gentleman was very urbane even making one or two grim jokes and handed me not only my permission to leave but the necessary transportation very necessary in this case as traveling expenses were enormously high at this time and the government had also seized for the whole month of october the railroad for military use putting a complete stop to private travel it had been like tearing body and soul apart when necessity compelled me to leave the hospital from which I had not been separated but one day in three years. And when all the arrangements for departure had been completed, Miss G. urged, implored, entreated, and commanded to keep a sharp look out on the whiskey, and be, alike, impenetrable to stratagems, feints, or entreaties, my heart began to sink. A visit to the wards did not tend to strengthen my resolves. The first invalid to whom I communicated the news of my intended departure burst into a passion of tears and improved my wavering intentions by requesting me to kill him at once, for he would certainly die if I left. Standing by his bedside, unsettled and irresolute, all the details of my daily life rose before me the early morning visit to the sick after their feverish restless night when if even there was no good to be effected every man's head would be uncovered as by one impulse and jealousy invinced when a longer pause by one bedside than another would arouse the feeling often has the wardmaster of a recalled me when a quarter of a mile distant from his ward at the request of a patient and when going back to find out what was wanted a hearty convalescent would explain that i had passed through and omitted to speak to him farewells were exchanged at last and the sixth of october found me at the railroad station a search at the last moment for my keys discovered that they together with my watch, were still at the hospital, while, as an equivalent, remained in the bottom of my basket half of a salt mackerel, a rare luxury in the Confederacy, begged for a sick man the day before, and forgotten in the hurry of departure. So the start had to be postponed till the 7th. There is some school day's reminiscence hanging around Hannibal, and the softening of a rugged journey by the use of vinegar but what acid could soften the rigors of that trip to georgia they can hardly be recounted 
with the aid of two gentlemen and every disengaged man on the road a safe and happy termination was effected and a delicious nineteen days passed in idleness and quotes, confederate luxury free from the wear and tear of feelings constantly excited then came the stern reflection of dr moore's face when he accorded but the soldier's furlough of thirty days a useless search for an escort for immediate use resulted in advice unanimously given to go alone on the grounds that quotes, women had grown so independent during the war and no man knowing the object of your return would fail to give you all the assistance in his power fired with this quixotic sentiment an early start was made finding that in the confusion of ado making no checks had been given me for trunks i ventured while the afflatus lasted to touch a man on the arm who sat in front of me and request that he would call the conductor i am sorry i am not acquainted with him was the answer and down i went to zero never rising again till my journey was accomplished perhaps the details of my progress may give an idea of the state of the country at west point which it took an hour and a half to reach we had to sleep all night there were no bedrooms and no candles and female travellers sat in the little bar of the tavern the leading hotel being closed only brightened by a pine knot and at what they had provided themselves with out of their baskets another two hours travel to opelika the next day and another detention of half a dozen hours at columbus a rumor that the cars had been seized for government transportation was very alarming so long before starting time i was waiting in the depot seated on my trunk half amused and half mortified at the resemblance thus offered to an emigrant irish servant woman the depot was crowded with invalided soldiers for the government was moving the hospitals from upper georgia and tennessee and passers-by seeing my evident alarm volunteered all kinds of irrational advice a suggestion was made that by seeking the most helpless among the wounded and passing as his nurse my object would be effected but every man to whom i opened my proposals seemed alarmed at the idea the confusion became terrible towards the last everybody calling for the conductor who having no power the cars being under military control first denied his identity and then hid himself help came at the last moment in the shape of a red-faced half-tipsy irish porter let me put your trunks on he said and then go to colonel franklin at the back of the ladies car sure he will help the females the forlorn hope colonel franklin was standing on the platform at the extreme rear of the cars surrounded by a semicircle below about twenty-five feet deep all pressing on to get seats which were already too full he screaming and gesticulating like a madman the lame the halt and the blind 
stood around crutches splints huge sticks green blinds over eyes faces peeled from erysipelas and still leaving variegated hues of iodine gave picturesqueness to the scene had he borne caesar and his fortunes he could not have been more in earnest for four hours he had been stemming this living tide i had met and fraternized with a lady and gentleman who appeared as anxious as myself to get forward so telling her not to move until i had achieved my object and then join me i essayed a first faint call upon the colonel the sound died away in my throat but my irish friend i am sure he took me for one of his countrywomen was by my side and repeated the call a hundred voices took up the refrain a lady wants to speak to the colonel and universal curiosity as to the subject of my business being exhibited by a dead silence i raised my voice as mance hedrig said like a pelican in the wilderness colonel franklin i must get on to-night government business requires me to be in richmond by the thirtieth impossible madam i would like to oblige you but it is against my orders the cars are for the use of the wounded and sick alone but colonel franklin seven hundred men are waiting for their dinner breakfast and supper in richmond i am the matron of a hospital cannot help it madam if you men do not keep off i will put the front rank under arrest cannot you let me stand on the platform if there are orders against our using the cars no madam very sorry to refuse let me go in the freight train there is no freight train madam well in the box cars they are crowded madam crowded keep off men keep off there the steam whistled fearfully and the bell clanged an uproar of sound oh colonel franklin let me go in the mail car i won't even open my eyes to look at the letters against the law cannot be done you must not expect me to infringe on my orders will no one keep those men off i will colonel franklin if you will let me stand by you on that platform i wear very long hairpins thank you madam thank you now men this lady wears long hairpins so you had better keep off my friend the red-nosed irishman had never left my side he whispered that the trunks were all right and helped me to get on the stand another moment and my female companion was by my side this is not fair said the colonel you promised that you would not let any one come in oh no i promised that not a single man should do so this is a woman will you let her husband join her he is not a single man for he has a wife and nine children the result can be imagined our party very much relieved were soon inside where we found four comfortable seats reserved for general beauregard and staff which were unoccupied 
those gentlemen being detained at Macon. At that city, where we were compelled to pass the night, the same state of things existed, and with depressed spirits I drove to the cars to see if any arrangement could be made by which I could get still further. As the road would not be thrown open to the public for a month, an effort had to be made. An appeal to the authorities resulted in defeat, so I tried the former maneuver of appealing to subordinates. Baffled in all my attempts, and again seated emigrant-like on my trunk, the mail agent caught my eye as he stood in the doorway of his car. Improving the opportunity, I commenced a conversation, ending in an insinuating appeal to be taken in the mailbox. Success and installation in his little square domicile followed, and my friend, passing out immediately, locked the door on the outside. There were no windows, and no light whatever. The hour, six o'clock. Seated in loneliness and darkness till the town clock struck eight, every fear that could arise in the brain of a silly woman assailed me. Did the train I was in go to Augusta? And if not, would I be where I was all night? Was the man who locked me in really the mail agent? If he came back and robbed and murdered me, would anyone ever miss me? Having eaten nothing but a biscuit or two for twenty-four hours, my brain being proportionably light, imagination seized the reins from common sense, which fled in the presence of utter darkness and loneliness. At last the lock turned, and a lantern dispelled some of my terrors. The cars started, and the agent commenced sorting his letters, first locking us in securely. A couple of hours passed, and my mind was gradually losing its tone of unpleasant doubt as to the wisdom of my proceedings, when my busy companion knocked off work and essayed to play the agreeable. He was communicative in the extreme giving me his biography, which proved him a Connecticut man, and very much dissatisfied with the Confederacy, particularly the state of the money market. As long as he kept to his personal recollections, all was right. But he soon claimed a return of confidence, and grew hourly more patronizing and conversational. The tone and manner the loneliness of the position, and the impossibility of any fortunate interruption, became unbearable at last, and there is no knowing what I might have been tempted to do in the way of breaking out, if the cars had not fortunately run off the track. On we bumped, happily on level ground for ten minutes or more, the engineer entirely unconscious of the fact and no way of communicating with him, as the soldiers were lying over the rope on the top of the cars, so that pulling was in vain. At last a pause, and then a crowd, and then a familiar name was called, most welcome to my ears. 
i repeated it till its owner was by my side and the rest of the night was spent in asking questions and exchanging information at daylight he left me to rejoin his command while we continued on to augusta as usual no vehicle of any kind at the depot but being the only woman to be seen the mail driver offered me a seat on the mail bags and in this august style we reached the hotel by breakfast time all military suspension ceased here but there was two hours detention and this was enlivened by an amusing episode directly in front of me sat an old georgia up-country woman placidly regarding box-cars full of men waiting like us to start she knitted and gazed and at last inquired who those were in the parallel cars and where were they going the explanation that they were yankee prisoners startled her considerably the knitting needles ceased abruptly all the old women in the confederacy knitted socks for the soldiers in the cars the cracker bonnet of dark brown homespun was thrown back violently for her whole system seemed to have received a galvanic shock then she caught her breath lifted up her thin trembling hand accompanied by the trembling voice and made them a speech ain't you ashamed of you uns she said a comin down here a spoilin our country and a thieving in our hen roosts what did we ever do to you that you should come a killin our husbands and brothers and sons ain't you ashamed of you uns what do you want us to live with you for you poor white trash i ain't got a nigger that would be so mean as to force himself where he warn't wanted and what do we uns want with you ain't you but here a roar of laughter from both cars and trembling with anger and excitement the old lady pulled down her spectacles which in the excitement she had pushed up on her forehead and tried in vain to resume her labor with shaking hands from here to richmond there occurred the usual detentions and trials of railroad travel under the existing circumstances the windows of the cars were more or less broken sometimes no stoves for fires and the nights very chilly all in utter darkness for the lamps had been broken could they have been replaced there was no oil we crawled along stopping every now and then to tinker up some part of the car or the road getting out at times when announcements were made that the travelers must walk a mile or more as the case might be crowds of women were getting in and out all the way the male passengers grumbling half aloud that the women had better stay at home they had no business to be running around in such times this was said so often that it became very unpleasant till the tables were turned early one morning at gainsborough when a large-sized female made her way along the center of the car looking from the right to the left in vain search of a seat none being vacant she stopped short and addressed the astonished male passengers 
what for pity's sake do you men mean by running all around the country instead of staying in the field as you ought to do you keep filling up the cars so that a woman can't attend to her business when your place should be opposite the yankees this diversion in our behalf was received silently but many seats were soon vacated by their possessors on the plea of taking a little smoke the thirtieth of october found me weary hungry cold exhausted and with that most terrible of scourges a very bad nervous headache at the richmond depot four hours after the scheduled time the crowd was immense so that when it had opened and dispersed sufficiently to let me get through every vehicle had left if any had waited there till that hour as usual my telegram had not been received so that there was no one to meet me and pain rendering me indifferent to everything i quietly laid my shawl upon a bench in the station-house and myself on it for how long i cannot say but at last a voice asked what was wanted any kind of vehicle after a few moments my new friend returned with the information that there was only a market-cart which if i was willing to use was for hire if it had been a balloon or a wheelbarrow it would have been all the same my trunks were put on and then i was deposited on them the hour eleven o'clock at night i looked first at the horse he had a shadowy gray skin stretched over his prominent bones and in the dim misty light seemed a mere phantom the driver next came under observation a little dried-up black man with a brown rag tied around his head for shelter but like all his species he was kind and respectful directions were given him to drive to a friend's house but he said that his horse was too tired if i was willing he had another at his place where he would like to go and change quite willing or rather too weary to assert any authority on we rumbled and rattled twice the distance i was first bound changed one skeleton for another and started for my friend's house at last the blessed haven was reached but the sight of a new face in answer to our summons made my heart sink moved yesterday drive to miss g s house was the next direction for we were by this time out of the way of hotels or boarding-houses the same answer and very near twelve o'clock had all richmond moved the fresh air to say nothing of the novelty of my position had improved my headache and given me courage to make a proposition i dared not attempt before could not you drive me to the hospital was the next demand in a most ingratiating tone the old man untied the rag off his head and smoothed it on his knee by way of ironing the creases out and assisting reflection replaced it taking up the reins before he answered 
for we were now at a standstill at the foot of the hill in Broad Street. Mrs., said he, the way is long, and the bridges is mighty bad. If you will drive over them, and let me get out, and pay me fifty dollars, the old horse might go up the hill. The bargain was struck, and the hospital reached after midnight, the key of my apartment sent for, when the last hair that broke the camel's back was laid upon mine. Miss G. had taken it away with her. The key was gone, but the carpenter was not, and with his help the door was broken open. When a fire had been made, a delicious piece of cold, hard cornbread eaten, and the covering of the first bed I had slept in for ten days drawn around me, all the troubles of a hard world melted away, and the only real happiness on earth, entire exemption from mental or bodily pain, took possession of me. End of section 7